All right, everybody, welcome to the basement. And I got a real treat for you all today. Chris Allender, director of The Old Ways, which is out now on Netflix. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, welcome. Or I'm welcome. I don't know. I don't know how to talk. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, The Old Ways is kind of the main event of the show here. But um, just to kind of tease it a little bit, I- I've seen it. Uh, for anybody that hasn't, um, I don't know what's what's it about. It's 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 there's a lot going on in it that I really dig that I'm going to ask you about in a little bit. But uh, what's what's the general plot? Yeah, well, it's um, it's kind of a twist on the classic exorcism type of story, and um, in this case, it's actually told from the point of view of the person possessed, which I think is kind of rare. Um, you know, usually it's somebody's daughter or whatever they're calling the vatican and then also it's told from a latin american cultural perspective which um my partner uh filmmaking partner marcus gabriel is is from puerto rico so he um injected it with a lot of stories he was told by his mom and and other family members and so yeah it's basically a, a woman she's grew up in la uh, but she's from mexico heads back to her hometown to uh, do some research for a story for like a works for kind of like a vice vice media or vice news kind of, kind of company and ends up um, getting kidnapped and um, told that she has a demon inside of her and that they're going to get it out at all costs. So chaos ensues. It's, it's, it's a, it's a wild film, but I, I just, I kind of, I don't know. I had like a really cool connection with it. Cause it's, you know, it's a scary movie. There's a demon creature in it that I think the effects on it are really awesome. And when you finally get to see it at the tail end of the film, it's, it's cool. But I also just feel like there's a, there's a really great kind of compelling message behind it of, I mean, with the title, the old ways and kind of going back to, you know, basic good traits as a human being to kind of exercise demons. I, I don't want to, I don't know if I'm really saying that right, but um, <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely had a, and it was really cool, and I'll touch on it a little bit, but I wanted to kind of get like, what's your story like? When did you kind of get the filmmaking bug? Was it at age five or was it five <laughs> years yeah. ago? I don't know. Like, what's your? How'd you get to this point? Pretty young, um, probably in the eight-ish range. I was always kind of a you know, the kid in the class who could draw and um, got pretty into animation um, at an early age, became pretty obsessed with like Disney animation and classic animation and um, kind of became like a snob about it at an early age. Um, read about it a lot, studied it a lot, tried my hand at it as much as I could in the you know, whatever, late eighties, early nineties. Um, then I kind of got into, um, cause it was hard to do. Like we didn't like people didn't have film cameras anymore. So you couldn't like shoot single frame stuff. I tried with my camcorder, but it didn't work. And then, um, computers started being able to like do art, you know, um, and computer animation was actually accessible to, um, consumers or like around 1990 1991 i got this computer called an amiga 
It was made by Commodore mm-hmm. and um, it had a hard drive. It was very exciting. Um, I think 40 meg hard drive. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I started getting into computer animation and then a few years later got into high school and we had like a video class. So I would incorporate the animation and computer animation and then VFX. And I had some software that I could like morph, do morphing stuff with. And that's like right when Terminator 2 came out, um, right before I started high school and um, morphing was all the rage. So did all kinds of weird, weird movies um, and just kind of kept it up through film school. I went to school in Florida, uh, Florida State and um, moved out to LA and end of the 90s and I've just been doing it ever since working in commercials and marketing and promos and indie indie film and all kinds of stuff so this is kind of the culmination of um of all the little things i've learned (laughs) along the way um and marcus and i met the writer uh we we met in film school or in um at florida state i was in film school he was in communication school and we've been just working on stuff together for 25 years or so now so soapbox films mm-hmm. all right yeah that's so the, we're in burbank, burbank oh. california and we do all kinds of stuff like um mostly for the studios commercials and um branded content uh we produce um most of the muppets stuff you see web viral videos and live productions and um what else have we done? We did Muppets Now, and uh, and there's a new special coming out. Uh, I think next week or this week. I'm not I'm not sure when this drops, but um, this will drop a couple of weeks from now. So Muppets Haunted Mansion should be live on Disney Plus by the time this comes out. Nice. And, um, yeah, so we, we're always kind of dabbling in all kinds of stuff. All right. Uh, wow, that is. I'm not even trying to exaggerate here. That's quite the resume. <laughs> Uh, like you mentioned, you know, you're doing visual effects at a young age and you dropped Terminator two, which I know is like, you know, a landmark and, you know, in that kind of, in that kind of field, like what were your, you know, you obviously mentioned animation, but what were your early inspirations, whether it be an animation or whatnot and, or just being a filmmaker? Yeah. I mean, star Wars came out the year I was born and my, um, my parents were in grad school and my dad was in grad school when I was born. So there's a lot of like hanging out at people's houses, you know, like people do in college. And these people had a two-year-old or whatever. And uh, <laughs> the, this one friend of theirs had a VCR in like 1978 or whatever, which was pretty rare. Um, they were expensive, right? At the time. Yeah. And he was part of a video club, which meant people would bootleg movies and then mail them to someone else on the video club and they'd dub it and mail it to the next person. And, and he had star Wars. Um, and it was like filmed in the theater, like at the end, like people stood up and <laughs> someone walked around the screen. And <laughs> um, but that's, so every time we went over to their house, you know, and they were just hanging out drinking beer or whatever, I would, they'd pop in star Wars for me. And like, that was some of my first words and it, it's stuck with me ever since. Like it's um, super, influential on everything i've ever done and went from there you know a lot of animation i loved some of my first in theater experiences obviously were animation i think my first was like 
the Fox and the Hound, something like that. They did all the re-releases back then. Mm-hmm. That tore me up. Um, <laughs> yeah. The um, but then I got into like Secret of Nim, Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. all that type of stuff at an early age. Raiders of the Lost Ark. So those types of things were very early influences for me, and I and are just clear as day now when I look back. It's like, oh yeah, everything I do is <laughs> look it's like Dark Crystal or or whatever you know uh star wars um so yeah uh those things really had a big influence on me early on and um the classic disney films like snow white and uh sleeping beauty in particular and i had a younger sister my sister was like seven years younger than me so she was like at that age two or three years old where she would just watch a movie seven days in a row three times a day and so I would kind of like steer those because I'm like, if I'm going to be in the room, you know, you only had one TV in the house. Yeah. It's like, Watch this movie instead. So Sleeping Beauty, um, stuff like that, where we could actually agree on the same movie. Because um, that one's that movie's dark. There's like it, a drag yeah, it gets it's really like, dark. <laughs> cool. I haven't even shown it to my daughters yet. And they're like nine and three. So. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but, I, no, I had a. I'm, I had a, I had two older siblings and there's a lot of stuff I grew up on uh, that I can't even believe I grew up on. I, I, I reference like, you know, I feel like I reference weekly now, like, you know, all the eighties and nineties macho action films, you know, my brother would just have on religiously, but like, I just realized you mentioned having a sister and it wasn't Disney films, but like my, I had an older sister that watched like steel magnolias. Like I, I know that movie inside and out for some Steel damn Magnolia. reason. And That's like a mature movie for her too. <laughs> <laughs> well, she yeah, I guess, yeah. Uh what else? But I remember I think the one thing I got hooked on with having a, a older sibling around, especially for my sister, I watched I Love Lucy mm-hmm. like religiously. And yeah. it's just carried with me to this day, you know, how much of an icon Lucille Ball was. And yeah, those Lucy is an amazing. Uh, I mean, those we, my wife and I went through, I don't know, maybe some point we had TiVo still. And we would, we just told TiVo like, you get, I love Lucy. And then like a week later we had 200, you know, episodes cause it was plays all day long. And yeah. um, man, we just like freebased that. It was, there's certain things that you just can't believe how well they hold up. Um, and that, that really does like, some of those, those Vitamita Vegemite. Oh, whatever, yeah. That, that episode is insane. <laughs> and there's one where I think she thinks her neighbors are communist. Yeah. And she like sneaks into their apartment, but they're like actors. But And she like hides as a chair and like puts, there's like a chair with like a slip yeah. cover on it or something. And she like sits there like, and it's, that, just, this is a masterpiece. The, and, there's like, so physical comedy and timing that i've never seen before and for that time like i mean you know 1950s early 1960s whenever that was like you know a, a woman on a tv show is just the you know hi honey what would you like for dinner you know yeah. character and and she was the one that figured out to like hold on to the rights for like the re re-airing and everything like she kept the um kinescopes or whatever they made back then um and just made a fortune off of it. it was a brilliant business person on top of it all 
All right. We should start a Lucille Ball podcast uh, together. Anyway. For real. <laughs> um, but like, it just sounds like you grew up in like the perfect, like I, I was born in the 88. I have no recollection, recollection of the 80s. Oh, yeah. But it just sounds yeah, like 87, 88 was like, I mean, the most amazing movies came out, like in the mid to late 80s. And I mean, I grew up Goonies, Ferris Bueller, obviously all the Raiders and Empire Strikes Back and um, Back to the Future. Um, it just goes on and on and on. Like, it's incredible what was going on, like right before computer animation mm-hmm. kind of showed up and i love computer animation but it like wrecked everything for quite a while Mm -hmm. you know people were wielding this sword that was too heavy for them to to Mm -hmm. hold for a while but um jurassic park i mean that was 90 whatever 91 or something but um it's just nuts when you look at about a karate kid i mean yeah there's a bunch of movies that i i watch i mean i watch karate kid every couple of years it's extremely good and it has no right to be at, at all you know and it's not just good because i am nostalgic about it like it's legit good filmmaking and there's like these long wonders like drama and the music's unbelievable and and the score and the soundtrack and uh the angsty thing like i that i think that like the tone of karate kid like has infected me pretty heavily like i like i always take any project I do, I think like takes itself really seriously, even if it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. <laughs> and the Karate Kid's like a perfect That's example smart. Of that like it shouldn't, it's it should be dumb. It's called the Karate Kid, you know, and it's like it takes itself deadly seriously the entire time, and it works. I think in the reboot, uh, Jackie Chan, Will Smith's kid one, I think he teaches him kung fu. But it's well, called if it's the Jackie Karate Chan. Kid. It should be yeah. If it should be Kung Fu, if it's Jackie Chan, yeah. Karate is Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Okinawan or yeah. I just I don't know. I don't know. So at least they changed that. That makes sense. But yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they just had somebody call him the Karate Kid, like yeah, in it or something. In somebody it. bought the rights and you know tell everybody to leave him alone. But no, it just it just I feel like you kind of grew up in an era. I wish I did. I mean, I caught like the tail end of some of that in the 90s like i just feel like there was just so much creativity and filmmakers getting to do what they wanted on like a big scale and i think that's why people are so nostalgic about that era i mean this is spielberg coming into his own you know richard donner um oh yeah i mean donner cameron james cameron yeah cameron is a huge influence to me especially as i get older I mean, his movies hold up so like they're just perfect, mm-hmm. every one of them. And Terminator 2, I watch regularly, I mean, every year or two. And it's like better the older I get. Because like I was the exact same age as Eddie Furlong <laughs> as his character when it came out. And um, I was heading into ninth grade. And um, now I'm like, well, I guess I'm older. I'm older than Linda Hamilton, but. You know, I'm a parent of a kid, almost I mean, not even as old as him, to be honest. Um, but it's just like I just liked it because there was a robot, <laughs> you know, when it came <laughs> out, and now it's like the most amazing story about a 
boy who doesn't have a father and yeah like, finds like and the mother i mean it's just it's it's great it's great he, um, his films always, aliens like yeah. the director's cut of aliens is amazing i don't know why they released the non-director's cut of that but the his version of it's phenomenal his films hold up like they, he's one of my favorites and yeah, I, I do. You're absolutely right. There's always some sort of really deep underlying message in his films. And, you know, they're pretty much really super big budget genre films. I mean, people say Terminator, the first one is just like one of the best B movies of all time, basically. By a long shot. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 just amazing. Um, but the he's he's made the two best sequels of all time or two yeah yeah (laughs) like two of the four best sequels of all time and that's why i'm I'm pretty stoked about avatar because uh he's got a really good track record with sequels (laughs) yeah really good so one of the reasons why i actually hunted you down and try to get you on the show is i was saying before we started recording like i've never really had like a like a producer on the show and mm-hmm. you've, you know, you got a couple EP and producer credits on a few films I caught. And what, one of them I had to rewatch cause I'd seen it a few years ago. Um, you produced, um, well, I'm going to tie them both together cause they're both anthologies basically, but uh, Southbound and mm-hmm. um, well, I'll touch on Southbound really a little bit. I love it for one re Well, I love it for a lot of reasons, but I think what drew me to it is, I don't think it, I don't really think there's like a name of the genre, but I love thrillers or horror films that take place in a desert. Mm. I, I love, there's something about, I mean, Tremors, I, that's another good uh, 80s <laughs> movie that you, that you missed. Oh yeah. Sorry, man. Uh, but, but there's just something about, I don't know, out West, you know, somewhere, California, Nevada or Utah, and just like something really bad happens to someone. And I just, mm-hmm. I, one, I mean, to reference just a film that comes to mind is a breakdown with Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That is one, that, that's one of my favorite movies in the nineties, yeah. but like, just uh, tell me how Southbound we, came together. Yeah. You know, I, I came on, like, I wasn't the originator of that one. I came yeah. on kind of late. It was already greenlit i uh i'm friends with dave bruckner who directed Mm. the section that's in the uh, hospital Mm -hmm. and um he's a brilliant filmmaker um i don't know if you're familiar with him but he he did the ritual and he's working on hellraiser hellraiser right now um i can't wait for that hellraiser uh, night night house came out a few weeks ago um but yeah he was working on that so we got involved mostly kind of like in a post-production standpoint. So we did, we helped, we helped visualize like how they were going to do some of the, the effects work and then like the practical effects and then where we would take over doing some, some VFX. And then we uh, handled all the like color correction and mixing and uh, helped out with the editing on that. And as well as like, then we worked on a bunch of the other pieces like, um, radio silence they did like the wraparounds um and um so we did a bunch of stuff for that and then we kind of helped like combine because they were these movies like 
kind of people like go off and make the movies in separate yeah chunks um it's kind of the that's how they can make them so cheap because like you have like a smaller crew and just maybe it's a five-day shoot three to five days whatever um it's easier to you know get favors or low rates from your friends if you're only asking them for like a couple days instead of a feature-length film worth of time so it kind of like came back to us at soapbox as like a pile of movies and then we kind of put them all together into one thing and and streamlined it and then and did a lot of the a lot of random stuff here and there on the stuff we were mostly like i said closest involved in 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 bruckner's part um and we did something similar with um, a movie called xx that was um okay all written and directed by female writers and directors and roxanne benjamin was involved in all i think she was yeah so she directed part of southbound and we were pretty involved in that too so she did the the part with the three girls that get like stuck with a cult Mm -hmm. and then one of those three girls runs away from there and then gets hit by the car and she's the one that Mm. is in bruckner's piece so those two we were pretty heavily involved in and then and then she produced she was producing the xx which we got involved with and did a bunch of stuff for that and she ended up directing one of those segments and then we did body of bright and rock which was her kind of feature length debut as a writer director and i produced that alongside her um that was a idle wild that was a fun flick that really played on because i didn't know where it was going i'm talking about body (laughs) at bright rock i I didn't know where it was going for a little while because of the situation with um plot of the movies of park ranger finds a dead body in the you know middle of the woods and she's stranded with it basically they can't get to her and i just yeah. feel like you know and it, you know it's a testament to the director as well i mean obviously but to how that movie plays on the paranoia of just being trapped somewhere yes. in isolation in i mean yeah, i don't want to give anything away for anybody who's never seen it but it's you know, roxanne has spent a ton of time um she's like super outdoorsy she goes mm-hmm. hiking and camping and you know she'll she's in astronomy so she'll go to like hike somewhere to see like whatever meteor shower or something and i think she and she's volunteered a bunch of like in parks and and museums and stuff and she heard these stories from like national park rangers and there's like you have no idea how many people die yeah <laughs> at the parks and <laughs> yeah. we find and and, and like their bodies it takes forever to find them um and one of the rules uh and she heard this rule like if you find a body and you're a park employee you have to stay with it until the proper uh people come to take care of it because a to like keep other hikers and stuff from stumbling across a corpse but also you know they can't have their bears devouring human flesh and then getting a taste for that or whatever it is um so she heard that story from someone who was like oh my god so she just like <laughs> wrote a movie around that whole conceit that's what's so cool about um horror films thrillers that you just take a simple concept and say how could this really just mess with people i just i actually just heard a, a um something today it was about a there's a this is crazy but there's um this is kind of off topic, but <laughs> there's a paint shortage 
in the country right now, apparently. For, mm. And but I guess out in LA, out out in the you know, at the ports and stuff, or I was just out west or in Miami or something, the you know, people, the ships that are bringing in supplies and whatnot. I'm I'm getting somewhere with this, I promise. But <laughs> um, like Murder. they're um they're just keeping the ships out at sea sitting there and for just like months because they don't have people mm. to come in and help and work and you know unload these these giant ships. And I just for some reason it just popped in my head. And if there's a screenwriter listening, whether I'm <laughs> might beat me to it or not, I don't know if I'm doing a pitch on air, but <laughs> but like uh I just thought about like like a crew on that ship or something that has to be stranded there or something with no food or anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I, just stuck in the ocean with land, you know, so close, but you can't get to it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think that's, I guess where I'm going with all that is just like taking, I don't think that movie is going to be really good now that I just fleshed it out, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just, you know, just taking concepts like that and, you know, trying to put a twist on them and, seen if it creeps yeah. people out. I, mean, I think i think anything the, can be a horror movie from somebody's point of view oh know? yeah <laughs> everybody's got kidding. different anxieties and usually yeah. you know people understand each other's anxieties really yeah. well and different different strengths and weaknesses and you know yeah and i think that's one of the good things about um like anthology horror which you know with something like also the mortuary collection that there's just mm-hmm. I just, first of all, one question I want to ask is since I'm talking to someone who's been involved with anthology horror, Mm -hmm. I heard this a while ago, you know, someone, someone told me, you know, anthology horror films don't work. They they don't work or anthologies don't work. And I completely disagreed with them on it. I had a debate on it. I kind of want to hear what you think. Obviously you seem to like them, but. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, work financially or work entertainment wise uh that's a valid point um because like financially yeah supposedly maybe they they don't don't do as well typically uh i think it's hard for like a a standard you know not like a diehard audience member Mm -hmm. to get into it um you know um because you don't know what you're latching on to um but i think for like fans of story and fans of horror in particular like there's a place for it for sure and i think it's a great place to get a first chance um for some directors and we obviously found a lot of amazing directors out of the uh shorts uh world and then there's like the mortuary collection which is uh ryan spindell wrote and directed all of it so yeah it's like a different beast where it's kind of it's one voice, um, which I think is really effective because there's a, I think that bridges the, that gap that a regular audience member might have um, for it being like, it's not as schizophrenic, I guess, even mm-hmm. though there's like different time periods and different stories, but there's still like one tone. And then he also kind of wove the whole narrative together as one arc. So it also has that kind of, gets kind of, gets its cake and eats it too a little bit but yeah you know i there's a pretty big especially in genre festivals like the the shorts category tends to be pretty well attended you know which is basically they're just slapping together an anthology you know they're kind of coming up with a theme and 
put 90 minutes worth of shorts together and I think they work to a certain degree, but it's, I think it's, it's a, it's a bigger pill to swallow um, for a kind of all audience point of view. Um, and then I think that also translates into not doing as well financially, but they also, like I said, there's some um, economies with making it because you are like VHS. They just like mm. Roxanne produced that the original one. Um, you know, they just sent, money <laughs> to the filmmakers all around the u.s and was like send us back a movie it's got to be whatever <laughs> eight to 15 minutes long or whatever it is um so they just did whatever they wanted to do you know and with 10 grand or whatever i don't know what the number was but you know some some amount of money and um they're just big borrowing stealing from all their friends in ohio or whatever and mm. you know, you're not kind of dipping in it's hard to call like a rental house in la and be like hey can we get these lenses for cheap or nothing for a month and a half like i can get them for two days or something for free you know um mm -hmm. because we do so much work with these places but to be like hey can we just take this off the market for a feature and no no it's not gonna happen we have a business to run um but you know so that's where if you split that up all across the us or the world you can kind of cobble together a movie but you got to have some pretty strong um talent on board and some good people producing it to make sure there's some sort of consistent level of quality and entertainment value and all that stuff definitely uh definitely dude um so i just want to transition now into what i reached out for uh the old ways Mm -hmm. streaming on netflix i think it did it hit netflix like late august correct me if i'm wrong yeah august 25th yeah okay because i was exactly right i was doing i was getting like mixed mixed signals via the internet of when it hit netflix but i knew it had been on there for a little bit and and this this uh well let me just start by asking uh what i mean i know it's um it was written by your uh your your partner there with soapbox films but um like how did this kind of how this come together you know i know you touched on it in the beginning here but how did it all yeah well you know we've been looking going we've been trying to get a movie off the ground for a long time um we were produced i was producing this other movie that just came out a few months ago called wildcat that was um kind of a straight chamber drama uh thriller mm -hmm. that, so it's basically like one room uh, for most of the movie and um, every other feature I'd produced had been on location and super challenging because you just don't have that much you have to go on location because you can't afford to like build all the stuff but then you're on location you can't control anything you know you can't control the weather or how far you have to drive crazy you know landlords or whatever changing the price at the last minute whatever you know and you have to put up your cast and crew and hotels and it just um it's very challenging uh i mean body of brighton rock was supposed to be like 12 day shoot or something or something like that and two that we lost two days from a windstorm because they just we were up in Idlewild and they just shut down all the power preemptively because if the power lines fall it takes too long for the fire department to get there and like the whole mountain will go Damn. so um so we shot in like nine days or whatever that movie it was it was crazy um 
and then here we are making this movie wildcat that is still a pretty short shoot i think that was 15 or 15 or 18 days something like that and um but we were just like crushing it like every day getting tons of footage coming in call time at 7 a.m um probably have our first shot off by 7 15 30 wow um because like every night we just threw a tarp over the camera and locked the door and left um and versus like on the wind or body brighton rock we're like driving from home to the location well not home but where we're staying you know 30 or 40 minutes hiking in the case of brighton rock you know hiking up a mountain for another hour hour and a half of lugging stuff back and forth getting set up you got it it's just you're losing half your day you know just mm-hmm. dealing with stuff wrapping all that stuff so we're getting like 30 percent more just stuff out of the day and not going into overtime and not getting tired and not and then when you go into overtime you have to give turnaround for the next day so you need like 12 hours after you wrap before you can come back so by the end of the week you're like not your call time is until like noon or Mm -hmm. one o'clock or two o'clock and then you're shooting until two in the morning on saturday morning and then your whole weekend's ruined and you you know you got to come back on monday and so you just it just sucks i mean it's fine but it just it's just not that good for quality and for sanity it's so and, funny you're talking about this because i was just listening to a uh, script notes uh, um mm-hmm. a podcast uh yeah i listened to it yeah. yeah it's they were i think it's just the episode that aired last week they were talking about obviously the the current uh pending possible strike and uh the the i think uh, craig mazin one of the one of the hosts of the show was talking about uh the concept of fratter days where mm-hmm. you go in on Friday at like six o'clock at night and you know, you yeah, wrap at like sucks. 6 a.m. Saturday. Yeah. So. And then you're there, you spend all day Saturday sleeping. You wake up on Sunday and you like have to wash your clothes because yeah. you haven't done, you know, you haven't done any of that kind of you stuff. You have kids, you don't really see them. Yeah. Like. <laughs> you don't see them. So this was the opposite. I mean, long way of saying we were just crushing it on this movie, never went into overtime. It was, we were getting great performances we're having we were ha- we had extra time at the end of the day to rehearse for the next day or block or whatever just like it was just great and we're like we got to do this is like how you do your first movie we got to figure this out so we're like maybe we can just keep these walls and just start shooting our movie as soon as we wrap so marcus started writing and um we, and, you know he, he sent me 10 pages and i was like this is great let's make this movie it still took us like a year and a half after then to actually shoot it but we did keep the walls in storage and we reused them and um but um it took a lot longer than you know the two weeks that we were ex- <laughs> like let's do yeah. it in two weeks um that's never gonna happen um and it you know kind of ballooned in scope over time once we got producers involved and cast and crew and everything but um yeah uh we just really wanted to make something that um felt new and different and marcus had had these ideas kicking around in his head for years um stuff his stories and mother had told him kind of the whole backstory or the flashbacky thing is like a extreme version of something his mom actually witnessed and um very extreme <laughs> but uh 
yeah, it just uh, started to come together and we just did tons of research and interviewing people and friends and internet stuff and reading books and archaeological kind of where, you know, anthropology type books from the library and just started building the world and putting it together and working on the story. And eventually we just started shooting it, you know, and people are like, I don't know, are you sure you want to do this for your first movie? But we're like, we just got to do something. We're going to do something. We're going to make it good. We're going to go and do it. it so you kind of answered one of my questions that it was, I mean, you didn't really answer. Well, yeah, you did. But, uh, and that's fine. I was, I didn't realize to about 30 minutes in, I was like, oh, this is one location. This is, this is okay. Interesting. And a credit to, if you want to give them a shout out here, whoever doing production design on that, 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 yeah. that room she's in. And I'm obviously like, you know, with your angles and, you know, cinematography wise too, I, the room feels so big, but it's really little, but I think just, there's just so much going on in there. I just, I kind of forget that I'm in one room. It, there's, there's so much detail in that. I mean, I know there's, there's scenes that, well, I'll ask you about that in a second, but I know there's some scenes that go outside of this room that the, um, the main characters kept in, but there's just so much really interesting detail uh, inside where she's held captive. So that was where, where did you shoot that at? That was um, on a soundstage, okay, soundstage I... in, in Burbank. Yeah. Okay. So we, we envisioned shooting when we were writing it, we were like, well, we've got these four walls. Let's um, maybe we could build the room. And there were a bunch of rooms in the, in the in the script and we were like well maybe we can just redress the room over and over and over again <laughs> and just have this one room but you know shoot it for five days and then have a weekend where like the art team comes in and redresses it and we'd reuse it and that's how we can do it and save money and we started interviewing production designers and this one guy came through this guy uh bryce perrin and he had this idea for still just having three actually like walls because there's like a whole thing when you're building sets like the walls there's a lot of st structural issues and safety things and whatever when you build a wall so it's a big deal to have a wall on a soundstage hmm. uh, when you don't have a lot of money uh, so he's like well we can still just do it with four walls and then everything else i'm going to do is going to be um set dressing basically like i'm going to come up with tricks and because he's like I, I did this one movie we had millions of dollars we built this huge um cave structure and all this it was so expensive and all this labor and, and um carpenters building all the substructure and blah 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 covered it up and then they like put vines all over it and they're like and he's like in the final movie all you saw was vines like you had no idea that there was you know metric tons of plaster and wood and lath and whatever behind it so he's like well, let's just do that you know so we'll light it and we'll do stuff where like there's some places with a lot of it we just he went and got um canvas well basically what he did he pitched to us he's like i can build the whole complex because it's a whole comp like the idea is like it's an old mission hospital that's been yeah. like taken over by the jungle and we mostly you know for the first third at least first half um only get to see this one room but it's you know there's like a surgery room and a storage room and the old lady's like nest and like entrance and hallway and all this other stuff and he's like i can build all of it 
in one and I'll just, I'll have two walls in this room and I'll have two walls over there. And then, you know, this wall that has a big bookcase on it with all these um, jars of, you know, eye of newt, whatever, you know, all the, Mm -hmm. all that gack. That's just going to be burlap, brown burlap with the bookcase in front of it. And it's going to be covered in stuff. And you're going to look at the stuff and you're not going to look at the fact that there's no wall um, or this wall to the jail. So I'm just going to make it out of, I'm going to get some bamboo, like old bamboo. And I'm going to lash it together and make a, a quote unquote wall out of that. And, and all, and then we started figuring out ways of like how we could, cause I was very conscious of the one room thing and I didn't want it to be, cause we had just produced a movie in one room and I knew and it was the same cinematographer even. So like both of, he and I had all kinds of like new opinions about how to, pull this off and not feel like we're trapped in this room any more mm-hmm. than we want. And um, one of the things we did was by building that semi-transparent wall, you could see into the other rooms and get hints of that. And you're getting the depth. You can still tell that it goes back 60, 70 feet. It's obscured. You don't know what it is, but at least if like, it gives you these glimpses, you know, when you look out the window and up and down the hall and through the, the gate and, that there is a full world surrounding yeah. us. And this is all we're privy to right now. Um, but cause I didn't want the audience to be claustrophobic. Like it wasn't a claustrophobia movie. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't really that. want, like I wanted some of that at the beginning, you know, when she's panicked, but I wanted it to expand as much as possible after that, because it wasn't really about the like trapped. It wasn't about the, the loneliness and the trappedness. It was about, wanting to get free and you know and connect from whatever like all the other threats that were happening and not it wasn't like i'm in a coffin like that wasn't the (laughs) the gist of it um so we jumped through many hoops and did a lot of came up with a lot of like dogmas about how to shoot and and still also then the whole time trying to also make it feel like it was on location and not on a sound stage and and Mm. not like it's very easy for this for a stage to get very proscenium like almost like you're just looking at a play um so we really wanted to feel like at all times to have a sense that like there is something behind us there's a wall behind us there's a room there's a jungle there's a whatever we're in the middle of a fully three-dimensional 360 degree world and not just kind of like looking at a tapestry that somebody's hung in front of us where was the cave that was in uh, that was actually in Puerto Rico. Um, even though the movie takes place in Mexico, um, I had well for various reasons. One, um, because we were such a low budget movie, we weren't allowed to take our actors out of the country. Okay. Um, because SAG needs like enough money to like send up like a person yeah. if they want to send a person to check in and make sure we're not torturing them for real. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that left like Florida, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, which we'd already planned on going to down into Latin America. We already had a location and everything. And then we found out after we started filming that we couldn't (laughs) take the actors there. Um, So we had to scramble and some of our producers just like left town and we, we, they went to Puerto Rico and there's these amazing cave systems. there called the Kamui caves that, I mean, we got so lucky. They were exactly the way I drew. Like I drew a picture of these caves on a dry erase board while we were writing the movie. 
with the like kind of teeth yeah and the the, the exact look and shape of it um thinking we'll just like have to modify that in cg or something to make it look so like mouth like because it's called la boca and um they found the i mean the exact cave like it was phenomenal so we we shot in there it was there just been a rain so when they scouted it it was dry but when we were filming in it there was like a raging river going through the middle of it there were conservatively a hundred thousand bats maybe more probably more um like so many bats that you couldn't hear like you could hear their sonar which i didn't even know oh, interesting hear. like i thought it was like dog like dog whistle whatever wow. you know like but you could yeah, hear yeah. i could hear it echoing and like bouncing off the walls and luckily it was like such a big big cave that it wasn't it wasn't like scary like there were i mean like I said, maybe a million bats. I don't know. There were so many, but they were so high up, uh, mostly kind of just annoyed at us for being there during the day. I think, but uh, it was cool. Uh, t- talk to me about casting for this because I definitely think there's a lot of interesting character arcs in for the. I think it's like you got like four, three or four or five characters in it from the lead down to the the lady in it, the, um, I forget the name, uh-huh. but yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just talk yeah. to me about how you assembled this, this team. Yeah. Well, you know, we hired a, a casting director, um, and she specializes in diverse casting. So we thought she'd be a great fit and she was excited to do so. Um, so she did a whole round of like, you know, open call, casting and weeded through I, I don't know how many people probably lots and then she would have these sessions with us like once a week where she'd bring in um maybe 10 people that she liked um for each role and then we'd give her feedback and then she would kind of do another round uh and i was really most nervous about the bruja about the character mm-hmm. loose um because like she doesn't have a lot of line like there's not much in there to audition in the script. It's like, yeah, she kind of has a presence. stands in the corner is scary, you know, whatever. Like, it, like she doesn't, she doesn't speak much. The she's image of a, her basically sold me on the movie. Yeah. When I saw it on Netflix. Yeah. So she's just like part of the like fabric of the movie, but I, but I can't be like, now do this monologue. Let me see if you're good at being a bruja. <laughs> so it was almost more like auditioning a, like a, dancer or like somebody who has like choreography or something like that so it was it was strange for me because i was like i don't know what i'm gonna i don't exactly know what i'm gonna have to say to these people because they're not going to be in makeup they're not going to be in costume (laughs) you know it's going to be yeah that's hard um and then i think julia was definitely the first day maybe the first maybe one of one of three women who came in we were just like she's our bruja we did it we're geniuses um i mean she just owned it in the room and she was she had a ton of presence and power and you know obviously she's like very pretty in real life and you know but we had to imagine like what would it be like if we made her look 40 years older than she is and mm-hmm. so she did it though i mean she was very committed and um it was it was shockingly easy. I mean, at least for us, maybe, maybe 
our casting director went through maybe more people, but what ended up being super hard. Same with the other three supporting leads. Um, it was like first day, clear as day. They came in, got it. You know, Javi played by Sal Lopez. He's mm-hmm. the exact opposite of how it's written in the script. It's like, he's a huge hulking, whatever beast of a man. And he comes in and he's like very slight, right? strong, you know, but like smaller, just with like super soulful eyes and just yeah, like, added, there was something sensitive about him. Yeah. yeah. Added so much subtext. And we're like, well, he is absolutely not as written and he's perfect. You know? So he made sense. Uh, Andrea, who came into from Miranda, she killed it. I had no idea. She's, she's from Brooklyn. Like she has like a Brooklyn accent. Mm-hmm. She, she's like, yo, what's up, dude? <laughs> or, um, and then, you know, you say action and she's got a Southern Mexico accent. And um, she went to a speech, you know, trainer and everything. And um, what ended up being so hard, I thought it would be easy. I don't know. I was cocky um, was the lead Christina mm-hmm. because I thought like we're in Los Angeles. We're 51% Latino. Yeah. Everyone here is an actor or an actress. Like I'm like, there's gotta be thousands of people who've, and you know, late twenties, early thirties. Like it's, it seems like a very easy demographic to hit. I thought, um, and we found, I mean, tons of amazing actors came in, but like it wasn't until we started seeing them perform that we realized how bipolar the character, like there's so many different sides of the character that someone mm-hmm. could hit strong and tough, but not vulnerable and sad or whatever. Like there was just all these different angles to it that people could like get three out of four. And then you're just like, ah, oh. like they feel they like they look right they do this scene right they did this one was perfect this one made me cry but this part didn't work and you know and we just we just kept going back to the drawing board over and over again pushed the movie like three times i think like production got pushed back and pushed back because we didn't have the actor um almost had to cancel because we just like couldn't keep the cat the crew on hold anymore and they needed to take jobs and and then the eleventh hour, Bridget comes in and just like killed it. And then I was so excited in the room. I was like, "Oh, can you do this scene and this scene too?" Like scenes she not rehearsed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she was kind of pissed. But I was like, "I think this is it." And I just want to see like everything, um, so we can make this decision. And she was amazing. And then we we started shooting like a week later. Um, Wow. And um, we didn't have any rehearsal time or anything. We just kind of hit the ground running and she, she came super prepared every day and took direction really well and had tons of good insights and input. And we just like got to know each other over the course of production. I mean, it wasn't until the end, probably the last week that I even like knew who she was as a person. Wow. <laughs> she was so in, in the character and, serious and like i didn't realize that she was so like you started so quick yeah. lighthearted and like i mean she's very like love and peace and happy go lucky and funny and was not like that at all on set i mean she was just like in the zone method just 
hardcore and um it was it was a it was a great though i mean it was kind of by the seat of our pants but uh i feel like we were watching some of the scenes you know as we were filming it and just being like oh i think she's a star i think she's mm. a real she's a real thing um so that was pretty exciting no uh, she she was great you mentioned at the beginning uh possession films doing a, a possession film but kind of going out of the forgot kind of what you said but kind of going yeah. away from what you know we've seen in past possession films just did you watch a lot of movies about i mean obviously you know a lot of big names yeah. come to mind but i mean to be honest like for research for it i i did watch because i've i've seen exorcist and everything a hundred times um but i the conjuring conjuring or conjuring two I think it was a conjuring two i can't remember one of the two of them had like some pretty relevant like scenes to the scenes and and like the more i'd be like because there's a couple of movies i just wanted to see again before we started making the movie and i watched it and i was like oh dang there's like a lot of similarities to this movie um just structure like the con- the construction of the scenes and the way like the beats would play out or the way the scares would happen so i got pretty in-depth in that um but honestly like a lot of it was because it was in on the page it was scary and which i was super excited about because i'm like if it's scary like in courier font you know it's gonna be it's gonna be great um so i wasn't too worried about that side of it and i was more concerned about the like the world creation that I wanted to do with like, I wanted to have like a really colorful and really bright horror film, which I think mm-hmm. you don't see a whole lot of. And, and the jungle, I wanted it to feel like a real jungle film. So like, it was like apocalypse now and, and stuff like that, that I was watching more, especially that, movies yeah. like that where they were on location. Um, and I'm like, why does it look so good you know why does it <laughs> why why do i buy that but i don't buy like you know this tv show that has a jungle scene or whatever and so just really analyzing that and looking at how they lit it and how they framed stuff and where they were how they use the environment and um and depth stuff like that um so that there was a lot of that type of research because a lot of the other stuff was just, you know, it was on the page so well. And I, I have, and like, I mean, Lord of the Rings also like was a big influence on this movie and you wouldn't necessarily know it, but it's like, you know, I'm like talking to the, not you mention it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking, well, there's a scene that I cut out. That's like full on like Balrog, whatever. Um, Thou shall not pass kind of thing. But like, there's the, at the beginning, there's kind of like a surprise thing. And, I was talking to the actress. And I'm like, you know, it's like the Bilbo Baggins uh, wolf out scene or whatever. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you have the Bilbo Baggins. So like Googling Bilbo Baggins, you know, when he like freaks out about the ring yeah. when it's on uh, Frodo's neck. Yeah. And um, <laughs> those little things. So there's a lot of that because Marcus like lives and breathes classic horror stuff like it's in it's on the page you know Mm -hmm. so i tried to like bring all my like spielberg e cameron you know peter jackson 
influences to it and kind of flesh it out round it out like that because there was plenty of like straight up horror movie tropes that we were just kind of messing with and trying to flip around a little bit or go bigger with or whatever it was no there's um that's a good transition because i wanted to talk to you about the creature or the the demon Mm -hmm. or whatnot this uh this thing was so stucky yeah this just uh scared the shit out of me man like and you know you kind (laughs) of it really lurks like out of focus for most of the film or in shadows and you know we get a glimpse of at the end and like what what kind of how'd you know that that was how you wanted it to look like (laughs) well a lot of research led me to like as i was just researching mayan and aztec and other kind of pre-columbian um artifacts and and stuff like that i would find a lot of like horrific stuff you know like they would they have the skulls of children who were like were royal children and they had like elongated their skulls like they look like oh yeah like geiger like the alien head yeah um and they're 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 still like they exist today because you know that they probably didn't live too long after they did that but um they uh would drill into the teeth and put jewels and stone precious stones and gold and stuff into the like right into the teeth which mm-hmm. must have been horrible horrible i mean they didn't have any yeah, anesthesia or anything <laughs> um there were things like we would see headdresses of like i don't know if they're called priests but you know like religious leaders that had like hand just like hands on their face um okay yeah i see and stuff mean. like that um so what we started thinking we kind of worked backwards and said like well what if none of these things were things that these people had invented what if they had gone into the cave like because they would go into these caves and as like a rite of passage for like men becoming warriors and they would go into a cave for like a week like deep into the cave and it was supposed to be like the threshold to the underworld and if they came back then they were a man and if they didn't then they were eaten by the demons or whatever and so our idea was like well what if they went into the cave and they saw a thing you know saw Mm -hmm. god saw a demon saw a devil and this is what he looked like and all of these artifacts and anthropological findings that we have are their interpretation of a deity of some sort yeah and so we're like okay well what does that thing look like and so when we said well it's going to have a crazy head and it's going to have the drilled teeth and it's going to have hand prints on his face and um and then we worked with a really great creature designer keith thompson who had a bunch of uh really great ideas that he threw into the mix with that and then we got involved with the people making the prosthetics and the and the puppet and everything and they had some ideas and then but like we had to build it we couldn't afford to do like a fully animatronic face and everything so ultimately we knew we were gonna enhance that and post and due to covid i had lots of free time while we we're doing <laughs> post on this so i learned how to do a lot of stuff that i, I didn't really know how to do before like sculpting and 3d and rigging and animating like creatures and so I kind of re-envisioned the demon a little bit more. 
um, in post and then final product is, is what you get. Nice. No, it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty, uh, I don't know. It, it I, I just, it, it's a pretty creepy thing. Do you, do you, do you prefer to see like more, do you like the old school kind of physical creatures guys not really guys in suits but puppeteering stuff and like i mean first I, one thing that comes to mind i just because fresh in my head was a uh, pumpkin head the very, very <laughs> and but like do you do you kind of go back to I, some of that stuff for instance i'd like to do i mean and i'm the first person to be like oh let's just do that digitally or whatever because i know how to do it um yeah. but i prefer to do as much practical as we can and it doesn't even necessarily need to be fully realized but it helps i mean you hear it all the time like actors don't want to act with a tennis ball you know um if they don't have to and but it's not just them i mean it's everybody it's the it's the cameraman the lighting it just influences everything uh choreography i mean like i heard a story that i don't know if this is true i think it's true um from somebody who worked on uh episode two or I don't know, whichever one like Yoda jumps around and episode two, I think has a lightsaber lightsaber fight with uh, Christopher that, Lee <laughs> that the reason that he jumps around like that is because they shot it wrong and oh. the actor wasn't looking in the right place for the eye line and for where he was swinging the, um, the saber. So they had to make Yoda jump all around and post to like line up with all the eye lines and the, and the action. Um, and whether that's true or not, um, that's a good parable for why you kind of want to do it as much as you can. And like an our demon looks like, you know, okay, but he wasn't that articulate. He wasn't able to, mm. but his like body and stuff was fine. And, but it just helped the actors so much and helped, the blocking and the choreography and and everything for them to really like be in this dark scary space with a real person there like mm-hmm. slamming them to the ground and dragging them around and fighting them and dumping goo on them and so I, there's a time and a place for everything i mean i think cg um can look great and you know we have it in our movie um but 50 percent of the time that you see the demon it's totally real and 50 percent is part or all cg you know um hopefully it works i mean i was a little bit out of my league but i also know like what i can get away with <laughs> and where i need to stop no I, I think i think it works i think you got away with a lot of good things that show up on screen in it uh the ending and i don't want to give i don't want to say the ending or anything on the air but i, I two things kind of happen to me when i watch any kind of films in any genre. I always feel like sometimes I go into a movie one way. And then when I, when it's over, it's like when I, when I'm with the character and they're like different as they were in the beginning, as they were on the end and I'm kind of with them. And it just feels like I felt that change too. And yet there's also movies where you feel like stuff kind of comes full circle. And I just kind of felt like once the film ends, I got like a little mixture of both of them both of those feelings, I guess. And again, I don't want to give anything away. I hope I'm making some sense right now to you, but you know, what do you feel like the, like just 
kind of tell me the like the underlying message you maybe wanted to get out in this film because it is a it's a scary movie but i don't know there's a moment where there's kind of like this montage scene where she's kind of working with um the people that have kidnapped her and a little bit and it just seems very positive and i don't know i felt yeah. like it was a really interesting shift that i enjoyed so i just always kind of wanted to hear what was like an underlying message you yeah. as a filmmaker are trying to get out well that was always my favorite thing in the script was kind of just when you thought you knew where it was going to go um at the midpoint like everybody who's an antagonist is now on her team mm -hmm. and everything kind of spins around um in a really interesting way and i really loved that i mean every time i got to that part in the script i would because i would i would be getting closer and be like okay you know you just have that feeling where you feel like you're about to get on a, a train that's going somewhere you know it's going to go and then it would then we get off to the different station and that happened every time i read it like i read it hundred times, you know, and I would have that same, I was like, that's great. I hope that like translates on screen to, to the people. Um, I thought it hit. And um, yeah, you know, I, there's a lot of themes running through it. Uh, it's fairly rich when it comes to that. I mean, the thing that I really gravitated towards was the loss of identity. Um, you know, as an American, we're almost all transplants from somewhere. If you go back a couple of generations and it's getting, um, you know, the great power of America is our melting pot thing. And then, but it's also, you know, it's a bit of, it could be a double-edged sword. Um, Very true. So I thought that was really interesting to explore um, that point of view. Um, so that was interesting. I also like the idea of like family and that kind of idea that there's a, which maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but I like the idea of like a, genetic culture or you know some some like culture that's like imbued in you that even if you're not around it um can kind of come back to life if you give it enough water mm -hmm. yeah um i think that's really fascinating um and a lot of people i mean even bridget says this in interviews like you know she grew up in in floor in miami and but would she go visit her cousins in Mexico that she hasn't seen in six years, you know, they just, it's like, they've never been apart and mm -hmm. they're dancing and laughing and everything. And I think that's really kind of fascinating. Um, but the whole, you know, the whole movie, I think good movies are like a debate team kind of scenario where you've got an argument that's happening and you're not necessarily taking sides. You want like both sides to be competent arguers. You, know, you want it to be an arguable, an arguable conceit, not like you should kill people. No, you shouldn't. Like that's not, yeah, you know, interesting, but there's gotta be more. There's of a lot of, well, these days, a lot of people are saying things like the good old days were so much better, you know, back in my day or whatever. So it's an interesting story or it's like, well, were they? Um, and what was before that? And what was before that? And uh -huh. is everything about today terrible? No, you know, not necessarily. Um, so there's a good argument there to be had. And all four of the main characters kind of take a different quadrant of that. And the idea is then like you're, you're 
your lead, your main character synthesizes those um, arguments into like her own new truth that kind of takes a bit of everything and makes like a new, more robust understanding of, of the argument, you know, that, and kind of evolves it forward. And, and the idea that like, you know, before Catholicism, there was Aztec and Mayan and Nahuatl and all these different um, things. And there's something before those, you know, and we just might not know what that is, but, but there's pieces of it. You know, they kept the good stuff, hopefully, and rolled it forward. And well, now we have medicine. Cool. <laughs> but, you know, there's this other stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's, I don't know if that answered your question. but No, um, that, that exceeded what I wanted for an answer. <laughs> my question. That's, and I think that's, yeah, that was, that was awesome. No, there, there's, it, it definitely felt. It, like I said, like like I've been saying probably a few times in this episode, it's a you know it's a horror movie, but I think there's a lot more going on in it. I think there's a lot more deeper feelings, a lot more deeper questions being asked in the movie, and I think I kind of appreciate that. In my genre films, I, I like you know I, I like walking away from something even if it scared the crap out of me. I can have a conversation about it, and I think you did a great job at it. And it's on Netflix right now. Uh, the old ways oh, yeah. dropped back in August. Uh, I highly recommend everybody give it a watch and this is a good place to kind of wrap it up, but I thought I'd yeah. ask if there's anything you can or can't say, do you have anything coming on down the pipeline? Yeah. Well, I mean, this movie comes out on Blu-ray. Very exciting. Ooh, um, it's going to have like over two hours of bonus features plus the commentary. So there's a lot, if you like indie filmmaking, there's a bunch of, we did like a feature length documentary. <laughs> nice pretty good yeah i love um so there's that that's exciting um and the record we're actually coming out with a vinyl as well which is and the artwork on it is ridiculous um but yeah we've got i um my company made um a new i think we talked about it though right muppets haunted mansion um yeah we talk about that it's coming out no maybe plus (laughs) you dropped a lot of titles yeah sorry so muppets haunted mansion um (laughs) which is a hybrid of disneyland and (laughs) the muppets and halloween so if you like any or all of those which i'm sure at least two of those boxes gets checked uh that's it turned out really good so it's it's coming out um it's probably out by the time this podcast comes out um marks and i are working on another another thing it's not much to be said about it yet um we're just kind of shopping the script around now and i've got like a sci-fi um sci-fi thriller called static that we're trying to um get cast right now that um is pretty dope hopefully that'll happen um and maybe it'll be around you know if we're lucky next year um what else not much just work you know pandemic kind of slowed everything down but we're um we're also uh gonna maybe pitch either a sequel or a series of this um depending on how well it gets received so we'd really like to explore some more with christina and we've got this whole red book of demons ready to go so um there's a lot more (laughs) a lot more to tackle there nice dude all right um if we want to find you on the interwebs 
if we yeah. want to stalk you, I got to stop saying that. Uh, but <laughs> where can, where can we maybe yeah. find you? Well, this? I'm, I'm at Chris Allender at on everything, I think. Okay. Um, so good luck spelling that, but, um, it'll probably be in the podcast description. It will. Um, so yeah, I'm on, on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. Um, and I think we're at the old ways movie also. Um, if you like the movie and, um, what else? I don't know. I'm, uh, that's me. I'm out there available. Nice. I'll answer questions. If people have questions. I'll answer them. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, Chris, thank you for a good show, my man. This was awesome. For sure. It was really sure. awesome to talk to you. And, uh, I mean, good luck with whatever, whatever else comes down the road. And, um, as for everybody else, you know, the routine on the basement, don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave a review. And, that's all from me. We'll talk to you all next week. Take care.